at a cool 5-4 on the ground and 10,000 feet in the air, buckle your corn cob because it's not a bird, it's not a plane, it's Jerry Cobb, pilot extraordinaire who was robbed of her rightful title of the first woman in space. Welcome to History the Sequel. back with co-host selena how, how are you doing what was your week this week it was it was great it was good did you do anything that you're proud of Ooh, uh successfully navigated public transportation oh wait what did you do i i was i was in europe oh, okay so bragging okay so you were just in europe casually in europe uh, <laughs> uh yeah I, I, where'd you go um we were in london then amsterdam munich paris and so you just did, you just basically were like, I got this train situation. Uh, I mean, it was a team effort with me and my sister. So, you so know. it was just you two who went? No, no, no. It was me, my sister, and my dad. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah. Any fights? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, Selena, are you ready to learn about a woman who has been cruelly erased from history? Oh, yes. Just bring it on. So ready. Okay, Sally Ride, who you know, her trajectory in realizing her dreams to go to outer space was a fucking cakewalk compared to what Jerry Cobb went through. And really, Sally Ride was only able to do everything that she was that she did, blast through the glass mesosphere <laughs> to become the first American woman to look down upon Mother Earth, okay? And she was able to do that because she was standing on the shoulders of the Mercury 13. So let's go back, 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 back in time. Let's go back past the 80s, which probably sounds like 1700s to you. Back past the 80s, back to the time in America when tr that Trump wishes we could all go back to. America's finest time, the 1950s. It I was glorious. It was glorious. Women couldn't open a bank account. Without their husband or male relative's permission, we couldn't serve on juries, practice law, have birth control because it was still illegal in several states, go to an Ivy League college, marital rape was still legal. It was gorgeous time to be alive. Mm. So good. You also couldn't have maternity leave, get a home loan, adopt a baby by yourself. All the things that were like, can't we go back to that time? We've gone We've so backslid. Like, like this is truly regressive. We're living in a regressive society. Like, what, what has happened? We sh honestly, I wish I wasn't allowed to have Venmo. Mm, right? Yeah, PayPal, Zelle, all of it. Nightmare. A nightmare. Financial independence. Boo. Boo. <laughs> so the best you could hope for, really, in the MAGA years was to marry a rich man, have him open a bank account for you before he dies young, and before you can have kids and then just garner the sympathy that you, that gives you the rest of your life while doing the whatever the fuck you wanted. That's the best you could hope for in 1959. But there was a group of women in America who were busting through barriers. And ironically, they were doing it because of World War II. So you, this is a whole nother thing that we don't have time to get into. But the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, a.k.a. WASP. Get it? Because we staying? No, I don't. I think it's just the acronym. <laughs> They were a civilian pilots organization because I guess the military was like too embarrassed to actually ask for the help of women during World War II to help with war efforts. So they devised a civilian 
organization so women could learn to fly planes and haul death machines from factories in America to the Air Force who would transport them to battle lines. Mm. So it was, and because it wasn't a military organization, it took, I think it was like a late 70s that these women even got any recognition at all. So when they got to the Air Force, there was no, there was no GI Bill for them. There was none of this stuff that the guys got when they came back. So these women didn't have anywhere to go, didn't have anything to do. They couldn't go into commercial piloting because all these guys were coming back from the war and they they were um, littering the marketplace. So women started air racing. One of these women who was um, breaking all of these airspeed records was Jerry Cobb. Now, she had not actually, she was, even though she was competing with other wasps, she had not been a part of that program. She had a whole different situation, which is so incredible. So when she was a kid, her dad, who was a pilot, took her up in his plane when she was eight years old. And from that point on, she was addicted to the sky. Mm. Can you imagine anything that you did at eight years old that you were like, I still really like doing that? I mean, maybe dance, but like... Are you dancing now? Yeah. Oh, well, then see, that's a good example. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I stand corrected. Yeah. So Jerry... Um, But it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to start... Yeah, you've got other stuff going on. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, see, Jerry didn't let anything get in her way. Yeah. For sure. So Jerry flew for the first time at the age of 12. At 12 years old, just full, like, still missing teeth, freckled girl from Oklahoma, and just an oversized pilot hat, pigtails, (laughs) flying an airplane. I'm... Just waving through that window at you. I mean, well, here's the thing. It's not like, it wasn't like a Boeing 747. It's not like what you took over to Europe. Right. Yeah. It wasn't a big old plane. It was, let me tell you what planes were like in 1943 when Jerry started flying. And I, this is not to diminish her accomplishment, but just to set the scene, oh, you yeah. know? Okay. So it's a biplane, which is what she was flying. It could only reach maximum speeds of 92 miles an hour. <laughs> And the landing speed was 32 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So essentially a gazelle could outrun it mm-hmm. while landing. Yeah. Not to say it wasn't impressive, but it's not, you know, she's not flying 300 people across the Atlantic. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Despite all that, being 12 years old and maneuvering a machine piece of machinery like that is really impressive. Yeah. The just coordination yeah. Thingies. Yeah. And not like letting your the, the sun reflect off your braces so much that it blinds you. <laughs> <laughs> oh so God. after she learned to fly, she was off to buy her own plane, as you do when you're 13 years old. Oh, yeah. And she did that. And let me tell you how she did it. She spent her spare time picking berries, typing articles for newspapers, and small job riveting. Can you imagine What's a that last one? riveting, like it's like a machinist job. It's like rivet, like rivets. Okay, you know, hmm. Okay, you know, in a boat, you know, on a boat. Sure. Have you ever seen a boat? Yeah. Okay, on the outside of a boat, there's usually rivets that take the metal panels. Uh-huh. It's a screw for metal, for big pieces uh, of metal. I see. Also, that, that there were that many jobs available to teenagers. I know. So she had a lot of stuff going for her, though. I mean, to be um, realistic about this, she was white, middle class, Mm -hmm. in a time when that meant opportunity. Mm -hmm. And um, she had very supportive parents. 
I mean, they were supportive to a point. They did not want her pursuing flying as a career, and they did make her go to college, which she was not happy about. But um, so what she did, the compromise was that she would take a year off of co- before college and f- figure her life out. And the way that she figured her life out was she went to play in the Women's Professional Baseball League. Have you seen a league of their own? Okay. You know Madonna? Yeah. Okay, Madonna was in a movie with Rosie O'Donnell. Do you know Rosie O'Donnell? Okay. Like Hawaii racist lady? That's Roseanne. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't keep No, I'm here to help you. I want to explain the past to you. Okay. And it includes everything from the 90s and before. So there was, okay, so the only reason you would know about the Women's Professional Baseball League would be because the League of Their Own reintroduced it to the, to mass audiences. It was essentially like there was baseball, then there was war. And since there was no guys around to play baseball, people would go watch women play baseball. It was another thing that America allowed women to do that was then taken away from them after the war. No. Are you crying? Are you crying? (laughs) There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! After she was playing baseball, she went to college, and then she's finally like, fuck this shit, I'm going to buy my own plane. Took her a couple years, but she did it for a cool amount of $500. Let me just adjust that for inflation, okay? In today's money, that would be $5,368. Do you know how much planes actually cost now? Millions? Well, you can get a small one for $130,000. Used. That's like seats falling apart. That's like duct tape on the, you know, headrest. (laughs) It's bad. Mm. But that's... when. So when you hear like old people... Talk about how, like, they can't understand why young kids can't get their shit together. Just put this math in front of them. Yeah. So they can understand how how little money goes these days. Um, so she started teaching. She couldn't find work as a pilot, even though she had her own plane. So at 21, she started teaching flying. Mm-hmm. 21 years old. Not out partying, not doing, you know, cocaine like I was. Like, teaching <laughs> men how to fly planes. And it barely paid the bills. She barely made anything for it. But it also, um, uh, it didn't, so she had to do other stuff while she was doing, while she was at these flight schools. So she basically did, like most women, she did it all. She taught classes. She also worked at the hangar as the waitress in the cafe. And sometimes when she would get hired to fly, she would have served the person she's flying a hamburger, then walked onto the tarmac, into the plane, put on her captain's hat, and started and started the engine. So she was entering all these races like the all-women's transcontinental air race and just creaming these other ladies. So while she was breaking one of these records, she was in Miami Beach where she was introduced during an Air Force Association session to Dr. Lovelace. Dr. Lovelace at the time, was the chairman of the National Aeronautic and Space Administration's Life Sciences. We like to, like, back in the MAGA days, we just like to put a lot of words and stuffing stuff, you know, but he basically was like the lead scientist of America. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So he, they were talking, they were kikiing, they're on Miami Beach, they're drinking, you know, drinking lobsters or whatever you do on Miami Beach. Then he goes, hey, um, hey, I can't believe this. It's like, you're, you're this amazing female aviation record breaker. And then this other guy, General Flickinger, don't, I mean, I can't, I can't with these German names, mm-hmm. who was also working on Project Mercury with Dr. Lovelace, which was the first space program. They had, they were telling, they were like, keep king with Jerry. And they were like, Jerry, we just had a meeting in Moscow and we think that Russia plans to put a woman into space. And they were freaking out about it because they were like, we can't have Russia beat us to space and with a woman. This got Jerry super excited. And Dr. Lovelace was telling her like, listen, we want to start a women's space program. We want to test women to see if they're and qualify them to go into outer space. And of course, Jerry was like, sign me the fuck up. Yeah. Instantly. Like, where do I sign? Mm-hmm. So that is where the female space program was born in 1959, Miami Beach. Couldn't think of a worse location. Not the smartest city in the world is what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not Prague. No. Nah. It's not. I would take Chicago even. <laughs> Miami Beach. Anyway, Dr. Lovelace based his inclusion of women in the space program not on the fact that he was like, extremely empathetic and had very progressive views on gender equality, but based on science, cold, hard, motherfucking facts. According to his research, he found that women are better than men at withstanding pain, heat, cold, loneliness, and monotony, which I beg to, I I would like to bring up the point. We're not just better at it. We are raised to excel at all of those things. When you think of mm. a woman in that time and the things that she had to um, experience as a stay-at-home mom, as a, mm. as a sometimes pre-epidural birth, Oof. That's, you, that's what you're made for mm-hmm. is all these things. Yeah. Society had built a gender of humans that excel at space travel. So Jerry got a call from Dr. Lovelace to come down to Albuquerque, New Mexico to undergo the same stress tests that the all-male Mercury 7 were given. What do you think she said? When she said, he was like, why don't you come, come on down to New Mexico? We're going we're gonna to take your body to the limit, see if you, you're ready for space. What do you think she said? Fucking like, bring it on, bitches. <laughs> Like, like, fuck me up. (laughs) You know what? Did you read this book? Because that's exactly what she said. She said, bring it on, bitches. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. She had to start training to go do this. And it wasn't 2019 training. This is not Chris Evans going into Captain America. This is not, this is the late 50s, okay? Here's Mm -hmm. what she was doing. This is her training schedule to get ready for Albuquerque. At night, she ran circles in an empty parking lot. (laughs) And worked her way up to five-mile trots. Isn't that the sweetest thing you ever heard in your yes. life? She rode 12 miles on a stationary bike. She slept nine to 12 hours, which is sounds like a goddamn vacation to me. Amazing. Her diet was uh, this, the following. Large steaks, cheese, fruits, and for breakfast, she ate hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine 
like like meeting another woman and being like and she's like I'm on a diet I'm running circles in a parking lot and I'm eating hamburgers for breakfast <laughs> honestly me just like 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 if I actually I don't know if I was like yeah I'm gonna go get healthy and like fit or like whatever like problematic like healthism whatever thing is happening I'd be like yes I'm like eating hamburgers every morning it's like I'm doing great this is good it's reverse keto yes <laughs> This was what she named her diet. She called it her Vim, Vigor, and Vitality by Valentine's Day plan. Because she was set to go to Albuquerque on February 14th. Ooh. I just think it's a sweet little okay, name for I that. Okay, like, I think we need to appropriate that and like really start selling this like diet exercise plan. Circles in the parking lot with hamburgers <laughs> and cheese? Yeah. I, I, I'm way ahead of you. Oh, the yeah? The minute I read this, I was like, I want a steak tonight. Oh, yeah. Also... This is before they were like, red meat actually murders you. She was eating it like four times a day. <laughs> so but also, the, did they have like, I don't know, maybe that's... Did they have kale <laughs> in the 50s? <laughs> there was no wheatgrass. There was no kale. There was no protein powder. The first round of tests run on Jerry for, the, for five days uh, would be really strange to her, but sort of familiar to us now. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really know what was going to happen to a human body in different states of uh, uh, gravity or question mark what was space. So they didn't uh-huh. know. So they did a bunch of weird stuff. So they did blood counts, which isn't that weird. Blood sugar testing, non-protein nitrogen tests, sedimentation rates, urinalysis, and then repeat and interrupt those with um, photos of her eye membranes, lung capacity tests, laying on a tilt table that held her at 65 degrees to see what happened to her blood flow. And I don't know why 65 degrees. I don't know if that's the trajectory, the angle at which rockets enter the mm-hmm. outer space. I don't know why 65 degrees. Right. I think it's literally like, is that the first moment where your blood has a hard time pumping to your feet? Mm, right, right, right. No idea. Reading tests to track her comprehension while they fucked up her brain. Sitting in darkness until she saw the letter C. They had like a letter C that was unlit and they would have her sit in darkness until she saw it. Until her eyes adjusted to it. But like, did they, did she know that it was the letter C? Oh, okay, okay. They were just like, they, oh, it was like such fuckery. They were like, sit in this room. And she's like, okay. And they're like, do you see anything? And she's like, it's dark. And they're like, do you see anything now? And she's like, it's fucking dark. You do, turn out all the lights. There's literally no light in here. And then after like... They would test how long until she was like, oh, there's a blob in front of me. Oh, there's this thing. Oh, it kind of looks like this. Oh, it's the letter C. And they would compare how long it took each person to recognize that letter. It's a it's a darkness, it's a darkness adaptation yeah. test, but it's also like, why? It just seems crazy. It seems like a crazy test. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the rationale behind it? I guess if you're in space and all your electronics stop working. How quickly do your eyes assimilate to watch yourself die? Oh, good. No, it's like, Great. who yeah. cares, you know? Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I guess, to, or maybe to see an instrument panel, but it just seems like if there's no fucking lights in space, if your equipment's down, like, just to take the cyanide pill. <laughs> it's over. There's no Sandra Bullock floating back down. Mm-mm. Then they did this weird thing. They injected 10 degree liquid water into her ear for 30 seconds to bring on vertigo. There's something about the bone in your ears that if it gets cold, you lose your balance. Okay. Which so inner ear. It's an inner like, ear hack. It's fluid. I don't know. Yeah. It freezes the fluid. Oh. That's what it does. Yes. Okay. 
And then it was a test to see how fast she could go overcome it. Because I guess you get vertigo when you're flying. You can get vertigo right. at certain altitudes and mm-hmm. doing certain things. So they want to make sure she didn't. She could handle that. Mm-hmm. Then they tested how much potassium was in her muscles, which I don't know what that means. Um, she passed all these things to flying colors. Mm-hmm. And a matter of fact, it was uh, they noted that she required less oxygen per minute than the average male astronaut, hmm. which means you didn't have to take as much oxygen into space. Which means it would be less expensive to send a woman into space. Mm -hmm. We were built for space. We weigh less. We hold our urine longer. We handle stress. And we are generally glad to be in a place where people aren't commenting on the nail polish that we're wearing all day long. Space is a vacation for women. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she did all these tests. She kept it for a secret for six months until Dr. Lovelace had to go to Stockholm, Sweden and present his findings. And when he did, her life changed forever. She was like the poster girl she was the poster woman, excuse me, for the United States female space program. Now, she here's something that I didn't really talk about up top, but I want to mention. She was a very awkward speaker as a kid. She was she had some operation where like her like literally her tongue was too attached to her mouth and she couldn't form words, so she had to like have <laughs> her tongue cut apart. Oh and so after that, she was just, she was just really shy about speak. And I do feel, also feel like that was in the the buckle category of surgeries. Do you know what the buckle was? The buckles where they used to, for starlets, they would take out back parts of their teeth, back like two molars to make their faces look thinner. That's nasty. Nasty. It feels like a buckle surgery in my mind when I was reading about it. I was like, oh, you just had a speech impediment and a doctor went in with a fucking scalpel and was like, let's cut your tongue up and see if that works. So she had a hard time speaking. She definitely got better. But when she was talking about the space program, she found her voice. She was confident. She was assertive. She knew what she was talking about. She was a she was a woman in charge. Mm-hmm. And she was turning the volume up to 10. Yes. And it wasn't just for interviews with the Today Show um, that she was really doing things so, not just like, like, uh, she not just polished and well-spoken and passionate about the program. She was not allowed allowing the female space program to be scandalized as a novelty act. Like mm-hmm. there were all these p- places that were like coming to her for like advertisements and sponsorships and like, come be the face of double mint gum. And she was like, no, this is serious. I'm a mm-hmm. serious woman. So then she had to do a second phase of testing. <laughs> they dove deep into her psyche. Ooh. The first was physical and vertigo. This was the psyche pass. And she had to do all this stuff. She had to do Rorschach tests, other mental aptitude measurements. Mm -hmm. Then it was the biggest mind fuck. You think the letter C was a mind fuck? (laughs) This is where sensory deprivation tanks were invented. Oh, my God. Was for the space program. Right. So they would put her in a floating tank with a salt water mixture so that she did not feel the weight of her own body. Mm -hmm. Totally devoid of light and totally um, uh, in soundproof. Mm-hmm. Nothing, no, none of your sense, none of your senses are stimulated. Mm-hmm. None. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you could smell the salt, but you know, yeah. basically, like what happens when nothing's happening? Mm-hmm. What happens to your brain? And um, have you ever been to a float tank? No. You know that's a thing now. Yeah, I do. Okay, so that's like, the space program. Yeah, they stayed a lot of times three times longer than the men. Mm-hmm. The men on average had to get out after six hours and they started hearing things. Oh. They started hearing voices. Oh, no. Their brains started going. 
Jerry Cobb was in there for nine and a half hours and she, they literally were like, do you want to stay in? And she's like, I could, I could, I could stay here all day. I mean, can't you just like take a nap or something? You, but that's the thing. She, at a certain point, she was like, I don't know if I'm awake or dreaming. Uh, and it was so relaxing uh, that they could just do it forever. Mm-hmm, right, right, right. They could do it forever. So here, so she, of course, passed all these mental tests also. And um, this is what they said after this round of training. They said, It is our opinion that Miss Jerry Cobb not only possesses no significant liabilities, but also possessed several exceptional, if not unique, qualities and capabilities for serving on special missions in astronautics. So they called, they called it astronautics back then. Okay, so here's what happened. She's testing all this. She's doing all this stuff, flying with passing colors. Two more women come into the program. Two more women, two more women, until there's 12 other female candidates giving up their jobs, their families, oftentimes pilot jobs that they've fought really hard to get, Mm. giving it all up to go into this program. Janie Hart was one of them. She was a 40-year-old woman with eight children, and they had to drag her ass out of the sensory deprivation tank. (laughs) They're like, you have to get out. And she's like, I want to live here. <laughs> so they were all going undergoing the same test as Jerry. Jerry was off to phase three of testing with the Navy. So they were giving her pressure tests, um, testing her in like their equipment. And um, they found their smallest pressure suit. And it was still too big to her, which is triggering because we just had this situation Mm-mm. March of this year Mm-mm. with NASA canceling the all-women spacewalks because they didn't have suits that fit the women. Mm-mm. These, for everyone who's, by the way, there was a lot of backlash online, too, of people being like, things take time. We have to be perfect. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, this problem has been around since the fucking 50s. Jerry Cobb had the same problem. You've had time mm-hmm. to yeah. fix this. Yeah. So Jerry was doing supersonic speed tests, or sorry, super, she was breaking the sonic barrier. She was, all the stuff, first time women doing, like, just doing all the stuff, all until she get, the only complicated thing was she had to start doing, she had to do some physical tests, and she had to do, like, chin-ups and pull-ups and all this stuff. And Jerry said that there was no other field in this testing where there was more of a difference between men and women. Mm -hmm. And Here's the thing. It is difficult when you're talking about upper body strength. It is very difficult for women to compete. Mm-hmm. That is just, I mean, not with all men, but like certainly men have the advantage when it comes to pecs. Yeah. But women, if it was a squat test, women have incredible power in their bottom halves. Yeah. Incredible. Mm-hmm. You can lick a man at squats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't lick a man during squats. Ew. So after she started, tra- she stopped all this training. She was done. She was the fucking queen of queen of space training. She was introduced to NASA administrator James Webb, who made her a NASA consultant. So all this is looking fucking great, right? Mm-hmm. It's happening. Jerry's out on the road, rousing up public froth for the program. And some of the um, Mercury 13 were on their way to Pensacola to train with the Navy when she gets a call from Dr. Lovelace. And the message was very simple. It's over. The Navy is not cooperating anymore. And without explanation, the United States Navy 
took the dreams of these women and crushed them in their fucking sexist bureaucracy like a seven-day-old croissant. She broke the news. Everyone was devastated. And then Jerry was like, fuck you. I'm not taking no for an answer. Called the Navy, picked up the phone and said, operator, give me the Navy. (laughs) The Navy told her that NASA was the ones who were not interested anymore and they did not want to continue testing. They, they needed permission from NASA to keep doing this, and they did not have that. NASA had rescinded their support of this project. So Jerry went on a propaganda tour, speaking to committees, diners, sorry, dinners, not diners. <laughs> she went to diners, I'm sure. Yeah. She would go to anybody who would listen to her talk about how necessary it was to keep women in the space program. She kept on and on and on with zero answers. And on February 20th, 1962, Jerry Cobb watched as John Glenn blasted off into outer space. And this is what she wrote in her book. And I want to just read this. She wrote, I wished him Godspeed. And yes, I confess, wishing that I were in his place. Now, let me tell you something. John Glenn does not deserve these fucking kudos. Mm -mm. He doesn't deserve. I'm about to ruin John Glenn for you. That's right. Just fucking, fucking. Are you ready for a hero to be dismantled? Rip. So he... John Glenn does not deserve to lick the motherfucking ground that Jerry Cobb has run exercise circles mm-hmm. on. In, the, in July of this very same year, the Committee on Science and Astronautics, I cannot get over that word. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Committee on Science and Astronautics of the United States House of Representatives agreed to hear Jerry's arguments about why women should be in space. Jerry and Janie Hart, Janie Hart being the mother, 40-year-old mother of eight, mm-hmm. um, found... Uh, found themselves giving impassioned pleas to have their dreams and desires and training and the science behind women in space recognized. It's like, how do you go home after this? Like, like being, like, so excited going through so much and then, like, going home to, like, I I mean, if you went into space and then you had to go home to, like, like, fucking, like, a terrible husband and kids. Like, maybe you could deal with it, but, like, not having that opportunity and still having to go back, it's like... What about your training and you're going and break the sound barrier, and then you go back to your job begging to be a flight instructor? <sighs> Even your, the, your, your dream tier two. Your old dream of just being yeah. a pilot has been replaced with the new dream of being a fucking astronaut, and now you got to go back to your old dream, which was still fucking hard. This is the, these are the 13 women we all should be um, remembering when we think about this United States space program. Jean F. Hickson, Myrtle T. Cage, the names are out of this world. That's why they belong in space. Bernice Trimble Stedman, Irene Leverton, Jerry Sloan, Sarah Lee Gorlick, Jean Nora Stumbau, Jan Dietrich, and her twin sister, Marion Dietrich, a fucking twin set up in space. Yes. Mary Wallace Funk, Rhea Hurley, and of course, Jane Hart and Jerry Cobb. Let me read some segments from Jerry Cobb's opening statement. We seek only a place in our nation's space future without discrimination. We ask as citizens of this nation to be allowed to participate with seriousness and sincerity in the making of history now as women have in the past. There were women on the Mayflower and on the first wagon trains west, working alongside the men to forge new trails 
to new vistas. We ask that opportunity in the pioneering of space. And then she goes on to say, Now we who aspire to be women astronauts ask for the opportunity to bring glory to our nation by an American woman becoming the first in all of the world to make a space flight. No nation has yet sent a human female into space. We offer you 13 women pilot volunteers. <laughs> so on the second day of testimony, John Glenn and Scott Carpenter, two of the Mercury 7, got up to testify. And here is their first defense against why women should not be in space. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, it's no, it gets so depressing. So one of them was that NASA's requirements uh, had set up these um, uh, whatever NASA had set up requirements for astronauts. Number one, must have an engineering degree. Number two, must have served as test pilots. Well, interesting line of defense because women could not be test pilots because the Navy did not allow them to be in the fucking Navy. So that you couldn't even you couldn't even dream of having that requirement. Mm-hmm. Number two, engineering degree. Interesting line of defense from John Glenn and Scott Carpenter to stand behind. Two men who failed to meet their school's degree requirements for engineering degrees. These are two men who did not have all of the fucking requirements to be astronauts in space sitting in a fucking wood chair behind a wood table telling Congress that these women had no business because they didn't meet all the requirements. Mm Mm-mm. So on that note, John Glenn was asked by George Lowe, who was a NASA member, this question. This is what he asked. He said, uh, How would you defend what is apparently a built-in discrimination against women in the space program since jet test experience is denied to them? And then here's what human pustule John Glenn said. He said, and this isn't even a fucking answer. He goes, The men go off and fight in wars and fly the airplanes and come back and help design and build and test them. The fact that women are not in this field is a fact of the social order. Anyway, that guy can, John Glenn can fuck off. A guy who's about to blast off into the unknown has the fucking audacity to, to speak on behalf of the unknown and what's allowed in the unknown. Maybe if you're not such a cuck for rules, dude, you shouldn't go into fucking <laughs> outer space where you don't know dick squidly about what's going on. <laughs> So in March 1962, noted cheater and U.S. President John F. Kennedy got a letter from a young girl asking if she could become an astronaut. And this is what the fucking president of the United States told a child. He said, We have no present plans to employ women on space flights because of the degree of scientific and flight training and the physical characteristics which are required. It's nothing like a Boston accent. <laughs> so the Mercury 13 tried to petition Kennedy, who would not see them. He wouldn't even see them. He wouldn't even meet with them. Mm-mm. And then they petitioned LBJ when he became president. And his response was, let's stop this now. Like, I'm tired of all this hooey, these women doing all this hooey shit. I'm goddamn tired of it. Women in space? No. No. <laughs> he, LBJ killed the program. Finally, he was like, I'm ripping all the money away. We're not talking about it anymore. Literally like my dad, when he's tired of hearing people, hearing my sister and I fight, he would just be like, this is over. Also, classic behavior of people with weak character mm. on all fronts. Oh, yeah. Just like, I, I think this is just such a brilliant case of just the power of mediocre white men. 
Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. How? Well, also, not well, only- I know how because this this clearly outlines how, but like still, what's so confusing is the arrogance of the United States to stand on the soapbox of democracy and talk shit about communist Russia, which had its problems, mm-hmm. but absolutely saw women as equals. Mm, that yeah, was what com- sure. there there's there's some interesting facts about um, women's sexual freedom under communism. Oh, yeah, 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 and the fact that on June 16th, 1963, Russian cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova became the first woman in space. Yeah. In 1963. That's right. We didn't even send a fucking woman to space till the 80s. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I know, that's always very interesting to me because I think I was, I like, it's it's very interesting because I, I was reading this New York Times article about like, sex was better under socialism and yes. like that sort of thing. And also like looking at Chinese propaganda art of like very much emphasizing the strength and like military inclusion of women and through like, I don't know, like I don't state government ballet things of like just women marching in guns across the stage. And uh, like, it, it's, it's an interesting counter narrative. To the way it's been portrayed historically. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, America has a lot of fucking nerve to be like, we fought for freedom against the British, but then we were still oppressing our own women and minority groups. Like, Yeah, everyone. (laughs) We stand on these lies of democracy that we don't even practice. Yeah, it's it's, it's frustrating because I think it's just, it's, I just don't think we're grappling with it. Like, even in the best way, it's like, we're like, make America great again and then Hillary Clinton's like America was always great or like America has kept its promises or America is like the land of the free and like like we're a safe haven and I I just I I it's it's, just rhetoric it's it's so frustrating there's a very famous saying from uh I don't remember which movie it was but I think it was Mallrats Mm -hmm. don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash. And now that I've said it, I think it's not the movie. But <laughs> the point is, is that that's all America does. Yeah. We write fucking checks that our butts cannot cash. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes in like Politico speak, like we'll be like, oh, like interests over like values or like, and it's, it, it's all fucking. But don't use values to justify your interests. That's what we do. Mm, yeah, you know, and that's, that's right. what, and that's like when John Glenn says it's not the natural order of things, it's like, so you're using your morality or your your rules of social order, which are based on fucking sexist uh, rhetoric, mm-hmm. to justify the fact that you just can't fucking handle a woman being in space. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to fucking happen because somehow that reflects badly on you as a man mm-hmm. that you would allow a woman to stand beside you and do the same job. That diminishes your fucking shine somehow. And, like, somehow that they get to keep their legitimacy after delegitimizing their own research into, like, women's aptitude for space. It's it- There's scientists not looking at science and ignoring the fucking facts that, uh, that women are better equipped to do this. I know. It, that part really um, punches me right in the vag. So... <laughs> so this is what uh, Valentina Tereshkova said... She was interviewed about Jerry Cobb. She had read Jerry Cobb's book, and this is what she had. She had praised her courage, and this is what she said. It was very sad the way American leaders have made a laughing stock of her. They shout at every turn about their democracy, and at the same time, they will not allow a woman into space. This is open inequality. So this is what Jerry Cobb did when her dreams were crushed. 
She did what every other amazing woman would do. That bitch flew humanitarian supplies to uncharted places and saved endangered South American tribes because she mapped out air routes that no one else had done before mm-hmm. and made sure that they could get food, water, etc. To continue living, because I'm sure that there was some part of it, like deforestation, some fucking industry had like, Hmm. you know, uh, threatened their existence. Here comes Jerry fucking Cobb with her with her rescue plane, Mm -hmm. saving people. She in '81 she was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Oh wow! For her humanitarian work. Then in 1999, also known as the year of no scrubs, to me. It will always be the year of no scrubs, which is a, it's not worth it. Um, uh, Now the National Organization for Women and Jerry Cobb petitioned NASA to send her into space to study the effects of aging, just like they had done with John Glenn. Mm -hmm. And NASA said, nah, we're good. They, they had an opportunity to fix their fucking mistakes and they didn't, they didn't jump on it. So John Glenn got what he wants again. And also, she's lucky that she didn't go up in space with him. He probably would have pushed her out of the goddamn shuttle. Oh, my God. Um, And it's not like anybody was chomping at the bit to talk about Jerry and the Mercury 13. In 19... It wasn't really until 1995 that astronaut Eileen Collins, who was the first woman to pilot a Mm -hmm. spacecraft, um, and she invited as her guests the surviving members of the Mercury 13. And then everyone in the world was like, who are these bitches? And then they're like, I'm curious. I, they were like, you've intrigued me, Eileen. <laughs> then they started getting getting uh, yeah. written about again. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they're putting, there was not like they're in the history books. No. Like, has NASA ever issued a formal apology? No. Trash. True trash. S- Space trash. <laughs> but, like, that's actually a real problem. Yes, I know. We should, we should address this. Yes. <laughs> so there were only eight members alive at this time. And when they saw Eileen... Blast into space. They weren't bitter. They were happy to see a woman finally living out their dreams in person. They were just happy to be there, Mm -hmm. which is better fucking women than I could have been. I would have been fucking kicking all the equipment, lighting fire to shit, (laughs) taking a dump on rockets. I would have been tables, flipping fucking NASA tables. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, what the Mercury 13 did, uh, even though, no, the Mercury 13 did so much f- to propel women into space. And even though they weren't personally allowed to go, they were, they were personally kept from going. Mm-hmm. Um, the effects did slowly trickle down, mm-hmm. to uh, trickle into the future. Yeah. The last batch of U.S. astronaut trainees were 50% women. That's gender oh, wow. parity in space. We have it. It's yes. here, okay? I mean, Trump is probably going to defund the space program, but, like, for now, we're absolutely equal. And um, we wish we could thank Jerry Cobb in person, but she actually passed away on March 18th of this year. Oh, wow. So, Jerry Cobb, these thanks are for you. Thank you, Jerry, for punching the system in the throat so hard. Thank you, Jerry, for not just being an outstanding pilot, but for blazing a trail for those women who came after you. Thank you, Jerry your lifelong commitment to sporting a tight pony Big she dude. went to paris one year and they were like can we do your hair for this fancy thing and she's like bitch put it do not put in a chignon mm-hmm. put in a pony that's right 
Thank you, Jerry, for being so absolutely unstoppable. You didn't let the forces in your way deter you from your love of flying. Even if you had ended up an old lady with a shotgun who sets fires to cars, I would have understood. You deserve a million statues celebrating your life. Jerry Cup! Jerry Cup! Jerry Cup! Jerry Cup! History of the Sheikwil is built on the backs of amazing dead women who created the opportunities you have today. Researched by Alex Everhart at Alex Icon Devil. Produced by Cody Fisher. Engineered by Sam Kiefer. And this episode was hosted by Aaron and Selena. You can follow us on History of the Sheikwil. I'll fuck that up. Sorry. I'll just do it all over again. History of the Sheikwil is built on the backs of amazing dead women who created the opportunities you have today. Researched by Alex Everhart at Alex Icon Devil. Produced by Cody Fisher. Engineered by Sam Kiefer. And this episode was hosted by Aaron and Selena. You can follow us on at History the Sequel on Instagram. Why in the Western program do you think there is a, a need, if you feel there is a need for women in space? Well, it's the same thing as, as, is there a need for men in space? I mean, if we're going to send a human being into space, we should send the one most qualified. And in, in certain areas, women have a lot to offer, and other areas men do. I think that we ought to use both.